You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to another supplemental episode of the 602 Club. Glad to have you back here in the 602 Club. It's uh, it's actually a, a really nice day here. Uh, Ruby's just let us come in and hang out and I love it when she does that. It's so sweet of her and we're going to be talking a, a little Star Wars. We got a great uh, Journey to the Force Awakens book um, that came out as the movie came out on the 18th and I just want to remind everybody uh, for that, uh, of course, we have the 602 Club main feed as well as the Star Wars feed. I want to welcome all of you who have been finding the show because of the Star Wars talk lately. I really appreciate you coming in. Uh, Make sure, if you want to help out the show, just give us a star rating and review on iTunes. Both of the feeds, it really does help us grow, and it helps more people find the show. So I appreciate all your help there, and of course... Both of those feeds are part of the Trek FM network. We're at trek.fm online, and you can also find us at itunes.com slash trek.fm. We're a featured provider on iTunes. We're so proud to be that for you guys. You can find us on Twitter at trek.fm, at Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can find us, of course, on the Babel Conference, which is the listeners-only discussion group we have, where you can talk about all the shows we talk about there, and you can just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or click Discussion on the menu bar at our website at trek.fm. And, of course, if you would like to contact us, I would love to hear from you. I, I love getting emails about the show, so just go to trek.fm slash contact or, of course, leave us a voicemail. Go to the sidebar on the show page at trek.fm or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. Well, buddy, John. How are you doing, man? Doing pretty good. I think uh, Ruby actually just left the back door unlocked for me um, because she just she knows when I'm swinging by. She hears you talking about uh, that there's a Star Wars thing coming up, and she's like, oh, all right, I'll just leave the alley door open. And I just sneak on in like an alley cat and sleep here overnight. <laughs> she's so nice like that. Uh, she's so uh, wonderfully helpful in those ways, John. I just love that uh, she... She lets us uh, come in here pretty much anytime we want and, and talk about things. So Just don't tell her that I'm replacing uh, the missing vodka with water. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> that's where that's been going. Uh, I won't tell her, though. Um, <laughs> you just continue to keep enjoying. So that's your, that's your reward for coming on and talking Star Wars and all the other things we talk about here in the 602 with you. So, um, Well, John, we, we had this great book that, that came out, and... Uh, it's called Before the Awakening. It's by Greg Rucka, who uh, I think we have already called our master on this yeah, show we, as well. Yeah, we, we've and, heaped some praise on him. Absolutely. Yeah, we have. And I think it's well-deserved. Uh, I don't know why uh, Greg isn't writing uh, scripts for, for Star Wars projects, because this guy has the pulse of Star Wars. And um, I, I really... I really mean that. Uh, this is this is not me just trying to pump somebody up or anything like that. Uh, you know, I feel like his stories feel like Star Wars in a way that um, 
I don't know, you know, you'd read those old EU books and some people would get it and some people wouldn't. Yeah. You know, Greg just gets it and and it fits so well within the universe that we know. Yeah, he's a he's a literary felony. I like that. I like that. Uh show name right there. <laughs> uh <laughs> Now, I have a question for you, John. So this book came out on the 18th of December, and I was wondering, as I've read it twice now, getting ready for this show, do you feel like that this book would have been better served for, and, and, and better served the reader by coming out before the movie, and I, I mean like maybe a week or two weeks before, or do you think they released it at the right time? Uh, I think that they should have released it a little bit beforehand. Um, I, I definitely think it's sort of a missed opportunity because it, especially the Poe story gives some necessary flavor for what's going on in the galaxy. Some, you know, there have been, there's been some fair criticism that some of the world building was maybe a little lean in the force awakens. And uh, especially when you're talking about an audience, that's very much used to focused world building. And, uh, see, I definitely think they should have released it a week beforehand. Would it have made a difference? I don't, I mean, it would have made a difference to me that, you know, I, I can say that, uh, like I almost try to reason it out as saying, okay, the movie came out on the 18th. Maybe they thought what was going to happen was they would release it on that day and people would buy it and read it while they were in line that weekend. That's the only way I can sort of justify it in my brain because I definitely think it should have been released ahead of time. I'm completely on board with that. You know, as I read this book, I thought, okay, and and after having seen the movie, I I knew, okay, you didn't spoil anything. Uh, you 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 didn't spoil anything about uh, the movie or the characters or anything like that. What this book does, I think, is it's a perfect lead-in to the film um it, it does introduce finn poe and ray to you but in a way that it just sets up everything that you will see in the film and it does it in a really nice way and in each character piece you know that each part of this book you start with finn you go to ray and you go to poe and in each one we are giving you the a background sense of who these characters are but in, in like you said, and even a further that, we are giving you a universe for which these characters exist in. And, you know, I, I, I have leveled the criticism at The Force Awakens, and I think it's very valid that the world building uh, was um, downplayed. You know, I know, for obviously, from the novelization, from this book and the script, there were things that they just took out of the film, and I think, like you said... Yes, this would have helped me immensely because I would have had that prior knowledge going in. And I honestly think as well, too, one of the beauties that I've noticed about the Star Wars saga is that each trilogy is about a certain aspect of freedom. You know, uh, the original trilogy is about restoring freedom and, and fighting for, to get freedom back. Uh, the uh, prequel trilogy is about losing freedom. What happens when a democracy and 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 turns into a bureaucracy, which destroys freedom and allows evil to take over. Uh, and in this this trilogy, and especially from these ancillary materials and what we know got cut out from the you know we see in the novelization and those kind of things, this new trilogy very much seems to be about keeping freedom and how difficult that is. Sure, uh, especially. 
you know, and and so, but but those mega themes, I, I think, are one of the things that make Star Wars so meta. They they make Star Wars so mythic, and they make Star Wars. I think you know it's been leveled that it's not as important as something like Star Trek because it doesn't say anything. But that's poppycock. Star Wars is saying a lot, and I think it 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 has a very important story to tell. And this book, I think specifically, as you were talking about the Poe section, it really has a lot to say about that theme of how important is freedom and what are we going to do to uh, are, are we going to deny that there are issues that we should take care of in the galaxy or our world or are we going to stand firm and say oh no we, we can't let this exist well that's and what's interesting too is um, and I, I think I've, I've called this out in, in other places or whatever but I think sometimes what is forgotten and what might have been overlooked um, by Abrams and crew is that there was uh, world building done between the movies, uh, specifically referencing the prequels. There was the Jendi Tartakovsky cartoon series, and that actually went a great way toward we got an introduction of General Grievous. We got an introduction as to what people's state of mind was. Now, it got later overwritten by the Clone Wars series and and stuff like that, uh, sort of. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be, but anyway. Um, But there was world building that they did leading up to, and that, I think, just speaks to, again, this could have and should have been. I mean, I, I almost wonder, as we're sitting here talking about it, I wonder why they didn't make the decision to take a page out of Lucas's book and have like a little lead in cartoon series. They have their own network. They have star Wars rebels and they could have just aired it as part of like a commercial break or something and just done little lead ins to build up into what's going on in the force awakens. So, I mean like, I mean, you could have even made this book the, I mean, this is a great, setup right here you this is a great cartoon series you know little snippets you know like five minute snippets here and there and uh, and it's perfect to be honest again and i i feel bad now that i do this so frequently this is yet another plot line that i would have rather had than aftermath this would have been more worthwhile to me Mm -hmm. no i i I completely agree with you and and you know uh, it is interesting you know jj uh did come out just the other day talking about um he understands the criticism leveled at the film that is a redo of star wars and he does not even deny that he just says the focus was different uh and he hoped that fans basically would forgive them that not as many people would feel that way basically um and I think that, but I think to me, this story right here, John, and, and what we're talking about, the thematic elements that just kind of got left out, if you had added those in, you would really do a great job of covering up more of of that criticism, I think, because the thematic elements come out stronger, and it, it makes those allusions to the past resonate in a different way. You know, it makes it feel more poetic instead of a more blatant copy. You know, does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Uh, I, I, you know, the the whole debate about you know how is it a soft reboot? Is it a redo? Is it a ripoff? Is it of this? Is it of that? It all boils down to, I, I Abrams is absolutely right. 
like the mindset you have to go in is that this is a character focused story, but that is what is so jarring. And I think that's, what's making some of the long time fans be even more critical than they would have been about this movie and its structure is that we are very used to a story focused approach in star Wars. So this, it, it was, we have that jarring nature to it. And I agree with you, more world building put into it would have allowed us to look past certain things and say, well, of course they built a star killer. They've been, they've been left alone for 30 years instead, you know, again, like I, you know, I, I don't have as much of a problem with the repetitive nature of the plot as some others do. Um, and that's not a shot at you. Like I, I've talked with, with oh, other no, people that I have understand. a huge problem with it. I, but like it, I, I basically, this is all just to say, I agree with you that if there had been just a little bit more world building leading up to, and within the movie itself, I think people's criticisms of certain aspects of it would have lessened considerably. And what's so interesting is that I think one, a reworking of the crawl to talk a little bit more about the state of the galaxy would be helpful because I, I think the crawl just could set this up without you even having to add much more to the film. And then maybe just a couple of scenes, because again, reading the novelization, there's just a couple of things that are cut out uh, that could really beef that up. You do those few minor tweaks, and I think, again, the, the thematic elements and the story elements come to shine so much fuller, and, and, it, and it, it just rounds it all out. It, it makes it better, I think. But, but this is the question I have, because we both agree this book should have come out earlier. And given us, you know, a, a little bit of a lead in, get, you know, helped us start hit the ground running, as it were. D would it have affected your enjoyment of the movie on that first go round had you had this background material? I can straight up say that I would have enjoyed it more on the first showing. And I think this really speaks to Disney not knowing or maybe needing a, a, a better learning curve for the fan base. I think they didn't anticipate that, that the fans want this nitty gritty, whether you're going to give it to us in the movie or beforehand, we want these things because we want to know everything that's going on in the world. You know, like their focus seemed to be on the hardcore fans as an afterthought as opposed to, you know, like they're they're trying to reach the broadest audience and bring people back that were alienated during the times of the prequels and stuff like that. Do you think that having this book beforehand would have, like, would you have walked out of that first showing feeling better about the movie as a whole? Definitely. Um, and part of that is because I know how this book made me feel when I did read it. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, goodness. Well, this this makes so much more sense. And um, I, I, I think that you're right. Uh, you know, I think Disney and JJ also just, they did miss the boat in the sense that they don't realize that I understand wanting to introduce Star Wars almost as if, it, as if it's new again. But the problem is, is that when you're reintroducing this universe, it's not new. It's 40 years old. 
and we have so much history now. We've got, you know, the prequel trilogy, Clone Wars, Rebels, the original trilogy, uh, these new books. They're all supposed to be tying together. So you're already telling me it all matters. It's all connected. And yet you're coming into this film almost pretending like that it doesn't matter. There's a there's that disconnect, and so when you do that, you actually you are hurting the film because there are so many longtime fans that are coming in with all of this prior knowledge, and then you're treating it as if no, this is this is all that matters. And so, um, I think you're exactly right. I I would have definitely come out of that first viewing, and I think my response to the film would have been so much more positive because I would have felt like I had a fuller picture. And it would have felt fuller even though the movie wasn't the only thing doing that for me. It was, as we've talked about, these ancillary materials. But is – okay. So, like, I know that we're, we're, we've sort of detoured, but, like, do you think that the, the postponement of the next two big books is an indication that Disney has learned its mistake and is going back and sort of – tweaking its timelines not in terms of what's actually occurring in the book or where they occur in the book or in, in you know in the larger sense but they understand they have to time these things better to get them out to the audience like you know you know disney's like skynet it's learning as it goes and it's going to figure us out oh goodness you know uh-huh. so like and at the same time so, like, is this a good thing that we get this book on the 18th? They see that there are enough people saying, well, this would have helped me a lot, you know, going into the movie. And so now they're adjusting their publishing timelines to say, okay, people need these things in a certain order, and this is going to help them get to those places. Or maybe I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I'm giving them too much credit, but, you know, so far as I know, Disney is run by some sort of giant learning machine that is just in Bob Iger's body. I don't know. He's a Terminator. He's the marketing Terminator from the future or something. You know, what I think it is, I think it's a piece of that. What I'm, my guess is, is that Bloodlines uh, and Life Debt that have been delayed a little bit, they may be going back and adding in some things and and, and doing what you're talking about. They're, they're they're adding more of that flavor that we've been talking about that will help fans with the connective tissue. And if if you said, and you said this uh, when we talked about The Force Awakens in our Force Awakens show, if we're living in the it's the all-connected universe and the ancillary materials are important, then we're going to make them important. We're going to make you have to read them. Because you're going to want to know the details going in and the details that we place in there, you know. And whereas we didn't feel that with Aftermath, we can clearly feel it here. We felt it in Lost Stars. Uh, we felt it in Shattered Empire. Uh, so, well, and and as we already said, much of that has to do and, and was placed in the shoulders, obviously, of Greg Rucka, and he's given us that stuff. So, yeah, I, I do think it's a learning curve here for Disney. I also think that episode eight is going to learn a lot from episode seven and probably be basically the empire strikes back where you know empire strikes back was all about expanding the universe and growing the original trilogy universe in a really deep way and i think that's probably going to happen with episode eight specifically and 
probably episode nine as well as it brings you know this epic saga hopefully to a conclusion for good that the skywalker saga would would finally be over <laughs> the type of money they're making no <laughs> well <laughs> yeah I, I don't know time, yeah man. come on so yeah who knows uh that's a whole other discussion but um well let's jump in okay so Great. Uh, that was a, that was exactly what I hoped for. I think that's a great conversation on just you know when we release these. And and, and again, uh, Disney, it's a, it is a learning process. So I got to give it to them. They're definitely trying to learn. I think um, they do care about us as fans. And I think this book is is one of the ways that uh, it proves it. So uh, they are trying to take care of us. I think it definitely underlines to anybody listening right now. We're speaking to you really should go out and get this book. What we're talking oh, yes. about, you should go out and you should get this book and you should read it. It's not... It's yeah, not, spoiler alert. There you go. But we like it. <laughs> right. Ta-da. Oh, man. Well, let's dive right in. Uh, so the first story in the book is about Finn. And uh, what were your... Just what are the first impressions about the Finn book? Uh, the Finn story, I should say. They do kind of feel like their own little novellas. Um, but uh, what were your first impressions reading through the Finn story? Uh, well, I will go ahead and put the disclaimer that the Finn story is actually my least favorite of the three. That being said, it's still enjoyable. And also, there were definite echoes of some of the clone training that we mm, saw in the uh, Clone yeah. Wars series. Um, with their fire, you know, their live fire exercises in the holographic room and, and all of those sorts of things. Uh, it was nice because it gives a little more weight to Phasma's character. And yes. actually, that was probably my favorite part of the story where. Are we going full spoiler on this? Oh, full okay, spoiler. Full spoiler on full this. Full spoiler. This story gives you an idea of why Phasma cares so much about Finn being a traitor. Like, he's not just any trooper that went traitor. She's somebody that she took a special interest in, that she tried to sort of shepherd and mentor. And so I think that provides some really nice backstory to it. I think it also undercuts, unfortunately, because there's one incident in it where they are supposed to execute the room of miners that are trying to negotiate for better living conditions that I think undercuts Finn's decision in The Force Awakens in the beginning because the impression I got watching the film was this was the first time he'd ever disobeyed an order where he realized this is, you know, this is terrible, this is no good. Um, whereas he has that moment in this story instead uh, because everybody shoots, you know, for him uh, and he doesn't have to kill anybody. But you're inside his head. So you could sort of make the argument that it sort of lessens that dramatic moment in the film itself. It doesn't ruin it, but it sort of lessens it to, for me. Um, but, you know, like I'd be interested to get your thoughts because I, as soon as I see anything that sort of jumps out about echoes of the Clone Wars, I instantly think of you, my friend, because we both love the Clone Wars so much. And as soon as we were in that live fire exercise in the beginning, I was like, oh, this is just like that. The, the Bad Batch episodes. Well, not only that, it's it's just like the beginning of, of season three where George decided to go back and tell the story of the um, 
clones that you, you had seen in episode in season one uh, there at the listening outpost. Right. And he goes into their training. So you get to know the backstory of Echo and Cut Up and all of these characters. And yes, it, it's very similar. It's the same type of holographic technology they're using, uh, the training exercises, all of that. It feels so similar. And it is interesting that, to me, that the First Order is doing this, um, the same kind of training regiments. And basically, it was so interesting to me that, that this book was explaining they are trying to create a clone army for all intents and purposes without using clones because they're using this the, the same they're trying to brainwash them basically to be uh, loyal to the first order you know because they're not clones they're not bred with that you know uh, it was so interesting to me to see that the first order is it has it has so much of that Hitler youth to it you know like we're going to get them from the birth. Right. And we're going to take them and make them into the perfect soldier because we've we've got them from the, the moment basically they're born. And I loved that because it, it really it, it echoed the Clone Wars. It echoed the, the prequel trilogy. And uh, and it's so interesting because they're trying to beat out of them personality. You know, they only have numbers, all this. Like the clones, they give themselves their own names that they use when they're... Uh, but at the same time, you know, in the Clone Wars, the clones change to become more human, basically, whereas these people are going to be less human. The favorite thing that jumped out to me from the Clone Wars is that Finn is the deserter. And if you remember that that Clone Wars episode to the deserter, where they meet uh, the clone who has deserted the army, he's uh, got his own family now you know he's married to a beautiful Twi'lek and he has two kids and you know Rex has to make the decision of whether he turns that clone in or not and Finn is that character the character who he's been raised to be a first order trooper and and instinctively inside he can he is the best you know uh, he's the best stormtrooper one of the best ones they've ever trained but there's there there's a disconnect in him like from the beginning like he's he's had it growing and that's what i really loved is that that connection there that you know most clones would turn out perfectly but there were going to be that one in a thousand you know that just couldn't it wasn't going to connect for some reason they'd be the defective one well uh, you know the same the Finn is that same trooper I loved it that it was such a great connection to the prequel trilogy because I don't think you truly understand the first order stormtroopers unless you've seen the Clone Wars series and you've understood how how could a stormtrooper who's been raised from birth like this immediately turn his back? Because it didn't make sense in the film. You read this book, though. You watch the the, the Clone Wars series. You'll get that feeling. I, I just thought, it, to me, that's what made this storyline brilliant is is that connection. Well, I you know, I, I uh, the only thing that I'll semi-challenge on that is that, um, and it's not really a challenge. This is just sort of like my own take on it, is Finn's... Uh, it, betrayal desertion whatever you want to call it makes sense later in the movie when you find out that he was previously assigned on sanitation at the star killer and then 
he's sent out on his first like go kill him mission and that's why I sort of pick on that one moment where he was sent off to kill the striking miners is for me it worked within the context of the film that this is a guy who had never seen battle before believe it or not there are people who are in the military who don't see battle because they have different jobs and so mm-hmm. I, I yep. almost prefer the take of Finn that I had before that he was a good and loyal trooper but largely because he'd never been asked to do anything violent previously. And that if they had done that to him, they would have seen his quote unquote defective nature or maybe they bred it out. Who who knows? But you know, and so that, that had, that had worked for me, but like even more about uh, the, you know, the, the brainwashing that goes on. I think that it speaks to the fact that, the clones were bred to be more loyal and they were given the chips to help them turn and and those sorts of things. Whereas this story speaks much more to the idea of how media saturation played such a big part in the Nazis and in the empire. If you are raised to believe only, I mean like there, there's almost like a North Korea vibe because instead of constantly making the, the Nazi illusion, there's a North Korea vibe here where you stop every day to look at the news of how wonderful and glorious your leaders are and how terrible everybody outside of where you live is. And I think that, you know, that's that, that in and of itself speaks very heavily to the way things are now where people are basically inundated with information designed to get them to sort of fall into ideological lockstep instead of actually thinking through things and coming to a conclusion. Yeah, and it's funny too. You, I was just thinking about uh, thematically. It also plays in very well with uh, you know the the Hunger Games and and how that works. Oh, that's in a good that, point. You know, so it is very very interesting to see that. I'll I'll say that what I liked about the, the way this book and where you had an issue, I didn't because for me it was that Finn could be perfect in the simulations. Because there was something inside of him that wasn't in anybody else that allowed him to know this is just a video game. You know, this isn't real. You know, I can perform here because I'm not actually killing people, you know. Because that was what I liked about that it was a little bit more protracted for him, the the decision he makes in the film, is that he's been on one mission before where he was faced with, do I actually kill somebody? And I love that after that mission, he's really frustrated with himself and he goes back into the simulations and he sees that it, there's that disconnect. This isn't these simulations. They're not real life. And this is not who I am. And so once he gets to Jakku and makes that decision in the film, it comes full circle. Like it, it's it's fully blossomed in him. I this is not who I am. You know, and he says in the film, I've been raised to do one thing. Um. But he can't do the one thing he's been raised to do because that's not who he is inside, you know. And I just I liked that because again, it connected with the clone troopers and that deserter. They'd been raised to do one thing, but that one in a thousand, that one in a hundred thousand clones, once they got out into the field, that wasn't who they are. They wanted something more. They wanted to be different. And uh, to me, that was that's who Finn is and that makes me like his character so much more as you know we we had talked about in our Force Awakens episode his character was harder for us to get used to but this to me made 
the Finn character had a lot of depth that I hadn't experienced necessarily in the film. And uh, again, I just, you know, if this book had come out beforehand, I would not have had a problem with Finn at all because I would have completely understood the the mindset of the character even more, you know. And then I think that's just kind of part of the what we talked about with the film with the editing. And it's so quick. You know, J.J. jumps so fast with his editing that sometimes it doesn't allow scenes to breathe enough to, well, to really that, that's, make you that's feel That's a whole that. argument for another day because Lucas was... Uh, brutal with editing in his own right. I, I think Abrams is much more reliant on dialogue um, than than visuals to to tell to convey things. Uh, but you know, I, I think we're in agreement. Even though the Finn story is my my least favorite of the three, I, I definitely think that. And even with my little complaints that I might have, it still would have been a big help uh, going into the film. Definitely. Well, and what's cool is, you know, we've had confirmed that nines or FN two one nine nine is the battalion is the baton trooper uh, that yes. Finn faces, and uh, so this just adds to that yeah. when they talk about their melee combat and how, uh, you know, uh, Finn and him go at each other, and so that I love that it makes that scene a little bit better now when he says traitor. You know, now you know why he's screaming traitor. They were in the same group together, and he knows Finn has deserted. So that's that's great. It it just uh it really does. It it this does exactly what we talked about um with the, the three uh Trinity novels, you know, Leia Han and Luke. This is how you add to canon and make it seem important, you know. Yeah. Um so this is great. We jump to Ray. And, uh, you know, uh, for you, Finn was your weakest story. And for me, this was this was my weakest story. So I'm really interested to hear first your take about this Ray story. Well, I liked I liked the flavor that it gave for Ray. Um, and, and I think that it also I mean, it largely just serves to reinforce the fact that she could have left if she really wanted to. But she was choosing not to because she was afraid of not being there when they came back for her, which, you know, was an odd motivation, um, you know, because you see her living and you're kind of like, what what on earth would give you the motivation? Like after somebody left you in this situation, come on. But I think that it really, um, you know, it, it teases that out. It also shows her to be a decent person. Um and I really enjoyed actually meeting other people on Jakku who were in a similar predicament who behaved the way that you you would expect somebody to behave. It, like, it ennobles Ray by contrasting her with people that, you know, did take the advantage to leave, to you know, to get out of there. Um and also showed that she was willing to work with other people, you know, which which sets up that she, you know, she might not trust as a default, but she's willing to give people an opportunity to prove themselves trustworthy, which I think also plays into her going along with Finn and trusting Finn and, and that sort of thing. I, I did. I really did like that part. I thought that that was a really a fun thing. Um because, uh, you know, one of the, f the interesting things about Ray in the film 
is that you see that she isn't used to being around people. She's used to being more solitary. So the strangeness for her, and, and this is what helps soften the the bits about don't grab my hand, about her not enjoying physical contact. That makes complete sense. She doesn't like it, you know. Uh, she's not used to it. She's not used to people. And how, you know, uh, she did trust these people. She doesn't get angry for them, Uh what they do in the end because she understands their motivation that's just not her motivation what i loved about the story though is that it gave ray motivations in her life you know she did want things you know she had ambitions and that was what i really loved that even though this is somebody who's staying in a place that instinctively as maz will say to her you know they're never coming back to there but you might find what you're looking for somewhere else that, that she had a, a, a drive, a desire to be better. You know, she was always pushing herself to, to find, um, you know, the best scavenge uh, and uh, to learn more about, uh, you know, flying or ships or fixing things or, you know, I just, I liked that for the character because it, it did deepen her in those ways. And again, it, it kind of helped explain some of, the, I'd, I'd say kind of ridiculous criticism that she's a Mary Sue, you know, it, it gave a good explanation for how she knows all of this stuff, you know, why she knows she can fly, uh, you know, uh, why she's so good at fixing things, um, you know, it, it gave those fun just background pieces that I, I enjoy when we're talking about this kind of material and uh, for that, I, I really liked the Ray story. Yeah, uh, the, and the one thing, just since you mentioned it, with the with the Mary Sue thing, the thing that drives me nuts about that is at like Luke, they only ever refer to his piloting before the end of the movie in, in the original Star Wars. You know, like I I just I, that criticism makes no sense. It's nice to have backstory on Ray. I agree with you. It's nice to see. Oh well, she spent time. You know, with a simulator, she knew how to fix ships because she had to, and she had actually fixed a ship and made it run before, which is why she's able to run around the Falcon and, and fix it so quick and everything like that. That's neat to have, but the idea that, that it would be necessary when you're willing to give so many other characters a break, you know, throughout film history is just, it, this isn't a criticism of you, it's of those that make that criticism, that, that whole Mary Sue criticism, it, it just drives me nuts. <laughs> right, well, and I mean, just think about this too. Anakin and Luke are both the same in that way. Anakin's a whiz at fixing things and he's a great pilot. Luke is pretty much the same way. And shocker of all shockers, Ray's the same as well. And she starts off on a desert planet. If this kid's not a Skywalker, I don't know what a Skywalker is. So Well, yeah, um, you know, it's it's you it, know. it would definitely speak to the tone poem aspect of everything. But yeah, but I mean, you know, even Anakin, we get to see pilot before the end of the movie. You know, it's just it's it's crazy. I I think it's I think it's interesting because there's no. Um, I think people level the criticism because there's no specific point where a character stops and says, "Well, it's because you're so special." It's just basically just accept it. This is a special character, and she can do these things. So, but anyway, I mean, that's sort of like a sidetrack. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. You know, I, 
what made this the like I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it though what made this weaker than Finn's story for you I think it was because um, Finn and Poe's stories add something to the larger Star Wars universe you know and understanding the the larger framework of the sequel trilogy and Ray's story doesn't do that and so Ray's is definitely the more personal story and so as much as I enjoyed the personal nature of Finn and Poe's stories, I also enjoyed the broader framework and what they were adding to me because I felt like the film gives me much of this piece of Ray and because we do spend a lot of time with Ray in the film and hey, I am not complaining about that because she's my favorite freaking character in the film and we could have spent more time with her and I would be okay with it. Uh, with Finn and Poe, it was great because, too, this was helping give me even more on those characters. And I I, I love Poe. I love Poe in the film. I, I, I wanted more Poe. Uh, so this, I think, also added to that. And I come to really enjoy Finn, and this just gave me even more on that. So I think for me what made – and I, I say weakest, and I love all of these stories. It just – it had – the least impact on the rest of the galaxy uh, when I read it, and therefore it was the lower end of the totem pole. But this is a really high totem pole. So, I mean, when I say that, please don't think that I'm really down on this story. I, I really did enjoy the Ray story, and I thought it was actually a lot of fun. Um, her ingenuity, I thought, was incredible in, in getting to see that. I, I liked the fact that she found these old programs, she made her own computer, and she basically was playing Flight Simulator on Windows 95 and learning <laughs> how to fly all these different planes. Yeah. Didn't you get that feeling like she was yeah. playing Flight Simulator on like a old Windows yeah. machine? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, um, actually what's, what's interesting too is somebody that they haven't really covered that they sort of brush on a little bit in this uh, that I'd like to see more background story on is Unkar Plutt because mm -hmm. the sense I'm really developing of him right now is that like you look at him and you're like why on earth would anybody leave her with him and what I'm what I'm thinking is that it's uh, like Les Mis where it's uh, it's the tavern he's like the tavern owners that uh, you know the Thenardiers who yeah. You know, oh yeah, oh no, we'll take care of her like her own. She's fantastic. She's great. And then Ray's like, you know, he's like, oh yeah, I'll do, you know, she's gonna do great. And I'm gonna make sure that she's treated as if she's my own child. And then, uh, arguably, maybe he does treat her like his own child, and he's just a terrible parent. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great because there is that strange scene too in the book where these people land and and they talk to Uncar Plot and they have their daughter there with them and she meets on Plot, and Ray is seeing this from you know far away because so she can't hear the conversation and she wonders to herself I wonder what that was about and then we don't touch on it at all again so I do think you have a point uh, the daughter doesn't end up staying there with him but it was a very odd scene and it, it made you think did, is this what happened to Ray because it plays with that scene in the film where Ray is standing there um, having her vision She's the little girl, and she's pulling at his arm as she watches the ship fly away. So, yeah, I, I wonder if we'll get more of that later on, or if <laughs> that is basically just the setup to say, 
wait till episode eight. We'll we'll answer that question for you. <laughs> maybe maybe he's like he's built himself as like Uncle Uncar's summer camp. And it's supposed to be like a character building <laughs> thing. Oh man, talk about the worst summer camp in the galaxy. Yeah, uh, yeah go to Chiku. <laughs> There's no water. It's all sand. Uh, we hate sand. It gets everywhere. Uh, yeah, that's that's awful. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, just a and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, fun thing. I I loved the uh, the whole idea of the goggles being a, a theme in the her story. Yes, uh, that she's mad that she doesn't have them. That she hadn't. Uh, that she had traded them for food. Um, and then she finds a pair of goggles, and those get taken when the ship gets taken. And then apparently she just decides at the end of the film to make her own by you know taking the eyepieces of the stormtrooper helmet punching those out so i I thought that was kind of a fun thing um and ray finds an invisibility cloak that's pretty cool who knew those even existed in star wars i think that's great i I didn't yeah it's awesome so those are the fun things and and again this is this is a great little story and i think it does again it it adds some nice nuance to the film and when you're watching it and like you said it adds to that theme for ray of I'm not going to leave this place, you know, and that she's definitely had the opportunity to leave before, uh, and she's very committed to that that ideal and, and how much then it means when she does leave. Like, the, you know, in the film, I think it makes it even more poignant that she, you know, gets out of Dodge when Dodge is the only place that she's ever wanted to be. Why does everybody want to go back to Jakku? Uh, as yeah. Finn would say. <laughs> See? Junkyard. Anyway. Okay, I, I think it's time to, to jump into Poe, John, and uh, I think we're going to spend uh, quite a bit of time talking about Poe and <laughs> this story because not only does it connect with Shattered Empire, which we both loved, this is just a fascinating discussion of not only the character of Poe, which is great, but this is the one that sets the stage for everything that's going on in this galaxy. And damn, does Rucka do a great job in this story of setting that up. Yes, he does. And I think that given the story length, uh, that like Poe's story is the longest of these three. Uh, and I think it's not just because of the world building. I think that Rucka definitely has a, an affinity for this character. And I think that he is, he pours a lot of love into this character because Poe, of the three stories here, Poe feels like the one who has a real completeness about him. You know, like, I could actually read this story about Poe and not need to see him, and I'm not saying I wouldn't want to, but I'm saying, like, this is, he, he is on the side shaping up into this character of such terrific roundedness that mm-hmm. I I look forward to reading about him more and more. Like I want a Poe centric book now. I want I want more Poe all the time. And it's because of stories like this. And I think that you're absolutely right. Like I it would be very easy to sort of go on and belabor certain things, but at the core of this that also helps to make it the most compelling of the three is the fact that there is this tremendous world building that then plugs right into the beginning of The Force Awakens and actually answers a question for me because one of the fun things 
and this isn't a knock. It's a fun thing that I've had to sort of like think through. This is one of the type of things that I like to think through when I watch a Star Wars movie is we know that Poe has been sent. But the first thing we see is a Star Destroyer and the troops coming out to nab him. And my thought has always been, who who tipped them off? Where is there an informant? Did somebody tell them that he was going there? Do they have some sort of tracker? Like, what is happening right here? And this story very specifically answers that, that they had figured out Lor Santeca had the map piece. And so, like, that even gives some lead-in. You can imagine that when Poe goes to meet him now, the part of the conversation we don't see is Poe saying, they're on the way. You need to give this map to me, like, right now. And then... You know, and then, you know, it goes into Laura Santeca's speech where he's like, I've traveled the galaxy too much and seen too much suffering. You're right. It, it's time for this map to be found. Like, it's just, it's, I, I would have loved, and it would have been a lot like I felt, again, to make reference to the Tartakovsky series, is uh, at the end of that second generation series that he did, it specifically ends with a shot pulling back out that is designed to plug into the opening tracking shot of episode three. And it's always been one of my favorite pieces of tie-in material because I remember watching it and knowing that that was how it was going to work and just looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, this is the moment right before I need to plug into the story. So, I, I mean, I know I'm gushing over this story, but it deserves gushing over. It really does. This is, it's the best of the three I could have read a whole book about him. I, 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 I've come to love this character, not just because of you know how Oscar Isaac plays him in the film, but because of the work that Rucka has done to develop him. I, I think it's wonderful. I'm so glad to, to hear you say that. I remember we, we were talking uh, the other day on iMessage, and um, you had said uh, that uh, you know that the Ray story wasn't your least favorite and I was like oh don't say Poe don't don't say Poe you, you can't it can't be Poe it can't it can't um and I knew I knew it couldn't be because I, I know you really well now and I'm I'm so there with you you know um what's so great about Poe is I think that Poe is everything that people made Wedge into in their minds but he already is that yes you know, like, he's an incredible pilot he's got amazing sense of humor um he is such a lovable wonderful character he is the han solo with a little bit more heart earlier you know like you don't have to you know make poe into the hero he already is the hero um and part of that what i loved in this story is just for in the very beginning of of connecting shattered empire to this and and how poe grows up with wonderful loving parents you know who have been through hell uh in in the civil war and not the marvel civil war but the uh they were traumatized having the rebellion yeah exactly the captain america three Exactly. He just can't seem to, to, to get into Captain America. Uh, you know, the, all the tickets are sold out. Fandango is shut down. Um, <laughs> international fa- or Galactic Fandango is down. Uh, but what I love is that this story also does, when you're talking about the world building, it does an amazing job of, of, of the way that vets feel uh, about the wars that they've been a part of. And we learn that Shara has died. Uh, earlier in Poe's life um, 
and it's just him and his father. So very Disney. The one of the parents has died. Um, she doesn't die badly though. She just uh, it it sounds like she got sick or something, and and she passed away. And you know he's just left with his father. His mother didn't really talk about the war, but his father will with him. And what I love is the stories that he shares are wonderful stories about, you know, General Solo, uh, working with uh, the, the great Han Solo as he's a general, and, and the stories there and the harrowing adventures that they had. But the, the scaredness of, of, of Poe's father, that it, and, and, and this, this, he does this great thing. He, uh, Rucka talks about how when Poe meets Leia later, later on, She's wearing the same melancholy, the same sense of sadness that he saw his father wear. Uh, and he has this wonderfully poetic way of describing it. So when you're reading the book, check that out. I think you're going to love it. That Poe's father is worried that it's all for nothing, that they fought for nothing. And, you know, having a wife who's in the military who was in Afghanistan and the way that I see veterans feel about all the losses we've sustained now overseas, that everything that they fought for has been for nothing because all that territory has now been taken back by ISIS and al-Qaeda. That's exactly how Poe's father feels. It's how Leia feels about the way that the First Order is taking back territory and taking back power from the New Republic, because the New Republic doesn't want to admit that the First Order is a power to be reckoned with, and that needs to be reckoned with. And it is that theme of the non-war generation losing the will to fight, the will, losing the will to, to protect freedom and the importance of it, that I think resonates so loud and clear it is like a clarion call from star wars saying look you can't just let evil flourish and if you leave evil alone it will rise up it will gain power and it will become something that once it is unleashed it's it's like you've unleashed hell and i just i cannot stress enough how amazing that is to see in this story and how well Rucka tells that story. It's it's phenomenal. And and when I when I gush about this in this book, that why I missed it so much in the film is because you could have made The Force Awakens the most relevant film of twenty fifteen because it would have been preaching at us in a way that maybe people would have understood about the world we live in now. And that's what I think was missed uh, because I think The Force Awakens could have transcended just fun and done what a lot of the Star Wars films have done, especially for me, the prequel trilogy, is that they had a message that was timeless. And I'm hoping that will be passed on. But this book right here in this Poe story, that does this. And I will be forever grateful that uh, Rucka got the opportunity to create this story and add that in so that now when I do watch The Force Awakens, I feel that more. But it's because of this story and what he did. And it's just fan-freaking-tastic. Well, I guess, I guess we're in agreement then. 
even if you're lukewarm on the first two stories in this book, the post story makes it worth the cover price, hands down. Absolute hands down. Like, they could have released just the post story. They could have, you know what? They could have released these, in all honesty, the way they did those uh, ebooks that explain the history of mm-hmm. characters that I, that, not the, not the, the one who contacted the not perfect weapon, but the ones yeah. that did like Crimson Corsair. Um, yep, yep. They could have released these three stories individually like that. And I think, like, even if they'd done it ebook style, like this, mm, it, it would have been it would have been nice. It would it would have been nice. And you know, to the one thing I'll say is that they do have Maz in the movie speak to the idea that even Tolkien spoke to that. That I, I do agree they they should have teased out more, and this definitely teases out more. That there's almost this sense that the the you know what it's almost like the. Uh, I'll make a, a reference to Batman Begins where you know Batman is like our heroes where it's like no I, I can't kill this these people I can, even if they're evil I can't kill someone and it it's Ra's al Ghul that looks at him and says you know your compassion is a weakness that your enemies will exploit and you know in a sense like the, this story speaks to that uh, of the idea that evil keeps coming back specifically because good is good. And so at what point, you know, at what point will evil ever permanently go away? Because, you know, uh, let's, let's go with an historical illusion here. If people had listened to Patton, everybody was tired, you know, in a sense, my goodness. Wow. I just, I just figured out something here that ties into aftermath actually, and ties into a little bit of Hux's speech is that, there were those after World War II that wanted to keep going, that knew that Stalin was on his heels, that said, we're in Europe anyway, let's go in, let's, let's deliver a knockout blow here, we've got the advantage. And there were those in the... People were very tired of war by that point. People wanted it done, people wanted it over. And so those people were not listened to and, you know, so you can say, well, then, you know, the Cold War is born and, you know, different evil things happen. And, you know, there, there's this whole sort of uh, repetition of conflict that keeps happening. So, you know, may, maybe there's, you know, even more depth to this in that, you know, Poe is one of the people and even General Leia is one of the people that recognizes our mistake is that we didn't go in and completely wipe them out we let them run away like we we should have kept going but then you have other people that are saying well we were tired of war we don't want to fight anymore war is bad Mm -hmm. so like that you know maybe that is the the relevant commentary that force awakens does present but just not as overtly as lucas would have presented well, and, and it, I love that, John. I think that's fantastic because it is the the lack of courage to continue to face evil in whatever form it takes. And that's where it really does connect with what Maz says. You know, she's seen for a thousand years. It's taken place with the Sith, with uh, the Empire, and now it's taken the form of the First Order that evil continues to rise because evil does exist. 
You know, I think that's one of the things that I loved about The Force Awakens and the, the metaphysical nature of what it was talking about is that evil is out there. Evil is a real thing. And unless we continue to confront it, we continue to fight this battle, uh, you know, as Galadriel called in The Lord of the Rings, uh, the long defeat, we must continue to face evil. And the lack of courage to do so will be our undoing, basically. And that's what's happening here i mean and the new republic pays for that sorely when it it allowed evil to build itself up into the first order because it didn't keep a check on the first order right it let sauron run back to mordor and build his walls exactly that's exactly what's happened and now we've got the war of the ring basically happening and it looks pretty bleak you know, the galaxy has paid a huge price at this point because the New Republic is gone. Its fleet is gone. Uh, and basically, we're back to, you know, rebels versus uh, the Empire. Yeah, but at least at least they're on somewhat equal footing. Th- this is one of the things that I actually, and I, I know we're talking about Force Awakens again, but th- this is one of the things that I think is nice is that the Resistance is left, and they're the ones that have that focus, that we've got to wipe out evil permanently. And you have the first order left, and they managed to wipe out the Republic capital, but they lost the Star Killer. So everybody, I think, in Episode Eight comes into it with equal footing, as opposed to anybody mm-hmm. having the upper hand. So I think that's that's an interesting take. But then again, as you read about Poe and you read about General Leia in this, you feel like the right people are on the side of good this time. That they're willing mm-hmm. to take the fight all the way and, and get it all right. the way, you know, completely taken care of. I wonder. I just. I do want to read something from the book. I, I thought that this was fantastic. This conversation between Poe and his commander uh, after Poe comes back and reports on on some of the things that he's he's found out. And his commander says the Senate Intelligence Committee has reviewed the reports and found them inconclusive and at best grossly overstated. Poe, this is a non-issue. It's a big galaxy. The First Order is a remnant born of a war 30 years gone. Yes, they persist. Yes, they continue. But by all accounts, they do so barely. They are, at best, an ill-organized, poorly equipped, and badly funded group of loyalists who use propaganda and fear to inflate their strength and their importance. If there is not a better explanation for how the West has been dealing with ISIS, I don't know what is. This is incredible writing. This is incredible writing. And what I love, too, is that this connects at the very end of the book with Leia talking about this idea with Poe that they must look for hope because hope has been lost. That's the thing that's been lost, that the appeasement of, of evil and allowing it to exist has allowed hope to die in the galaxy in a lot of ways. And when I look at the world today, I see that. I see this lack of hope because we're so, we've gotten so focused on what's important for me and everything is about a personal experience. It's not about the broader what's best for the world. Like nobody cares anymore because we're all so wrapped up in our, you know, little universes because I'm the, sole person in my universe and all that matters in the universe is me and um the way that i see the force awakens and this before the awakening book 
adding to the thematic elements, preaching to our generation of wake up is uh, beyond brilliant. And uh, I, I just, I love it. I, I love, it makes me love The Force Awakens in this new sequel trilogy so much. I mean, I'm like way on board and it's, and it's, it's not just because of the film, it's because of what they're doing through this. And I, I think it's, it's just fantastic. John. Well, yeah, it, it is co- brilliant. Completely agree. And ju- just to sort of put the little cherry on top of the very beautiful Sunday you just built is the fact that there is a, uh, a there is specifically the thread of political corruption allowing it to happen because the senator can only see his own personal gain and doesn't care what it does to the galaxy at large. Mm, and that yeah. a politician is so key to this story that has a definite Lucas flavor to it as well. Oh, it's it's fantastic. And and let's let's jump into that a little bit, John, because that's part of the story here is that um Poe uh in the beginning of the story, he is on reconnaissance missions for the Republic. And they come across a distress call from a freighter that's been attacked. And this freighter is stolen by the First Order, and, and Poe actually loses one of his uh, wingmates uh, in this. And he comes back, and that's when he has that discussion that I read with his commander. And he makes the decision that on their next mission, he's had BB-8 plot all the different jump points that that freighter that was stolen could make, and he follows each one. And he ends up at a first order staging ground. Uh, he is able to find that, that freighter was there, and him and BB-8 get the heck out of Dodge. Uh, and once he gets back, he's joined by Major Amat, which we know from uh, Greg Rucka's other book, yes, uh, Moving Target, fantastic. And he brings him to Leia and that's when he joins the resistance. So we learn how he joins the resistance and then he's sent on this other mission, like you said, to find this Senator who they suspect has been giving information to the first order and to steal his yacht. Uh, And the way in which politics is important here, you know, so many people, and again, this is the overreaction to the prequels, Politics is important because it is the very existence of with which civilization thrives. Uh, politics, we either we either fall or rise based on political policies and the people in charge. And the sooner that people realize that, and then that's part of this Star Wars galaxy, is is not a bad thing because it, it has so much to show us about the world in which we live. And that's what I love about this is that I'm sorry, but the politics of the sequel trilogy is just as important as the politics of the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. So uh, politics isn't as big a part in the original trilogy because it can't be because we're talking about rebels fighting a gigantic empire and they're not part of the political process anymore. They're trying to restore the political process. Yeah, but but the thing is, again, that, you know, this this is another nature of the the passes I give Force Awakens. is that it it does not flesh out politics and nor does a new hope like all of that was backfilled into it 
And so I think that speaks again to the burden that's put on episode eight. Episode eight is going to have to really flesh these things out in terms of the world building, the way empire laid out more and the way Jedi laid out more. And I I think that it's in their minds at the very least. So I I don't think we're ever going to get a big political uh, debate chamber the way we did in the prequels, which is fine. But I do think that we will see some more of this world building. If this is any indication, I don't think that they're going to leave it all off screen. I think that they, they trimmed so much of this because it was 30 years. And so they felt that if they got, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully, the hopefully the expanded materials on the desk will will speak to why they made what cuts they did, and whether they just presumed we would all keep up with it. But you know, all that to say, I agree with you. the The politics of it are important, and it. I'm looking forward to more stories giving more. I, I imagine that uh, New Republic Bloodline is probably going to give a mm-hmm. lot of yeah, uh, uh, you know, weight to that. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. Well, and I, I think that we can safely say, John, that the the depth with which this new canon and so much of it has given us to talk about has just been phenomenal. I mean, uh, the discussion we've had about Before the Awakening here, I think, is just beyond brilliant. And I, I, I want to thank uh, the story group uh, at, at Disney uh, and Lucasfilm. I want to thank Greg Rucka. Uh, because this is the kind of thing that makes me have to read these books. It makes them so important, and I appreciate you guys uh, making it important um, and, and making it feel relevant and making the story of the film even more relevant than what we got in the film. And so uh, my heartfelt thanks to, to you guys uh, for that and, and all of your hard work. And I, I just say, hey, keep it up, man. We'll keep talking about it. We'll keep making people go and read it. We'll make people buy these books because of how good they are. If you keep putting out product like this and, and uh, wow, yeah, please uh, let uh, Greg be more involved. <laughs> and the one, the one thank you I want to tack on to that is I want to thank the local giant supermarket for having a copy that I could buy of this because when I went to Amazon to try to buy this so I could read it for this uh, supplemental, they were sold out. And if Amazon is sold out and I got to go and pick this up at Giant Supermarket, uh, Star Wars is really back, isn't it, man? So thank you, Giant Supermarket, for caving and wanting some of that sweet, sweet Disney cash and having a kiosk that had one (laughs) issue remaining. Oh man, uh, it reminds me. One of my one of my favorite podcasters is a guy named Steve Glosson, and he does a show uh, uh, about Supergirl uh, on Starkville Labs and then Starkville House of L, and uh, where they talk about Flash and Supergirl, and they talk about Supergirl having that sweet sweet uh, CVS money, and then they they play the ah from the Who, you know the yeah, song, from, and yeah from just, CBS Miami, yeah. Exactly. And it's just fantastic because that's how I feel about, you know, Star Wars having that sweet, sweet Disney cash. You know, oh, they yeah. are rolling in it. Oh, yeah. And obviously we're giving it to them. <laughs> <laughs> just they, maybe should, they should just set up like a an automatic withdrawal, like from my four one, you know, just like from my yeah. savings account or something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We just gave them a terrible idea. They're just going to set up a subscription service that we can just sign up our bank accounts to. 
Oh, yeah, nuts. there you go. It's it's kind of like when you walk into Target, John, yes. and you know you're going to drop fifty bucks. <laughs> so there should just be a door prize, yes, like a, right. a not a door a door charge a cover charge. <laughs> so yeah, um, it, uh, quickly before we wrap up, it, if you can you give this a rating? Is it just five stars? I mean, is there a rating for this story? I will rate each story in turn. Uh, I will okay, give excellent. I like that. I will give Finn four out of five. Uh, I will give Ray four out of five. You know what? Let me let me amend this. I will give Finn three and a half out of five. I will give Ray four out of five, and I will give uh, the Poe Dameron story. I however many stars it wants. Just give me another Poe book, please. Like a book, nothing about Poe, <laughs> please. That's my rating. Oh gosh. Okay. Um. So for me, uh, the Finn story I think is is four out of five. I think the Ray story is three point seven five out of five. Dangerously and precise. Yeah. Um. Because it it it's yeah it's just right there. Um. A, a, almost as good as the Finn story for me. And then the Poe book, like you said, however many stars are in the sky, is how many stars this story deserves. Uh, yep. So you just keep counting uh, Hubble telescope and we'll just keep adding stars. Uh, and I'm with you. Um, you know, I would say next in the end, next to Ray, Poe is my favorite character of the new characters. And I yeah. would love mm. to have more and more books about him. Uh, forget snap Wexley and aftermath. Give me Poe, give me Poe or give me death. Uh, give me Poe and give me general Hux. Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah. Well, I I cannot wait. Uh, we are going to be continuing to cover. Uh, John and I do have some things planned in, in the future. We're going to cover the Battlefront book as soon as we can get to it. Um, there were three retellings of the original trilogy that came out. We're going to get to those. Uh, we'll be continuing with Bloodlines, of course, and Aftermath when that comes out, the life debt. Uh, and so we want to keep continuing great Star Wars content coming to you uh, with the Star Wars feed and the 602 Club feed. And then, of course, um, we're going to be doing some fun things with Star Wars as well. Uh, we're actually going to be covering uh, the Clone Wars film. We're going to start with that and then slowly work our way through the, the different seasons of the series as well. So, so much more Star Wars coming to you from the 602 Club and so much else. I mean, make sure you check things out. We are doing... Uh, DC, Marvel, uh, old school like Dune. We're going to be talking about some more Bond for you. We're going to be going into some of the big films of the year. We're going to go into Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. This is going to be an amazing year for the 602 Club, so I hope you'll continue joining us. And I want to thank specifically the associate producers for the show through Patreon who make this happen. Uh, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, they support us every month through Patreon and make sure that the 602 Club comes to you each and every week, plus the supplementals. Uh, and it's a huge year for Trek FM. It's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. We're going to be celebrating huge. We have our brand new show from here to there. We're going to be talking about every single hour and every single episode of Star Trek and the film's all the way throughout the year as we celebrate. We need your help to help bring this content to you. We're a listener-supported network. We have so much going on. We want to continue to grow the network. 
see how you can become part of the team at patreon.com slash trekfm. We have amazing perks for you. And our goal is to make sure that we bring the best quality content to you from Star Trek and beyond. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. John, I this is this is so much fun. I just love getting to sit in the 602 Club with you, uh, sit and have some coffee or a great drink and, and talk about Star Wars and everything else. Uh, before we go, though, my brother, let everybody know where they can find you, of course, online, as well as the great podcast that I know that you're a part of. Oh, well, thank you, Matt. Uh, you can find me Kessel Junkie. That's my username pretty much everywhere. But you'll find me mostly on Twitter. Uh, you'll find me here on the Trek FM network uh, doing commentary Trek stars with uh, Mike Schindler, where uh, actually right now, as we record this, I am uh, going through the torturous early producing credits of J.J. Abrams. Uh, listen to those episodes because they're they're fun hearing us have little mental breakdowns about how bad those movies are. He didn't direct them. He just produced them. Uh, are you at least going <laughs> to get to talk about like Felicity or something? No, I mean, no movies. Some good TV or something? No, no, just the movies. But the thing is, we're about to enter. Uh, we're we're approaching the Mission Impossible phase, at which oh, you know, excellent, which is good. Um, yeah. So you know, suffering and then goodness. Uh, but then I'm also on a podcast called Words with Nerds, which uh, drops every Thursday on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and, and those sorts of services with my buddy Craig. Um, and, uh, there, you know, there's a little, uh, little project on the horizon that, uh, you know, might be, uh, built on the side that, uh, Matt and I will be bringing to you in a little bit. So, uh, we'll let you know more about that when the time comes. Yeah. So be sure to be, uh, checking us out, uh, on our Twitter accounts. You can follow me at Matt Rushing zero two. I'm on Instagram at M rushing. Uh, the Twitter account that would be best for uh, hearing about that new project is called The Jedi Masters. And just make sure you capitalize The Jedi and Masters. Uh, you can find me as well on the network doing The Orb with Christopher Jones. We talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. Uh, great series of the Star Trek canon. And so I hope you'll join us there. I do the literary trek show with dan where we talk about the books and the comics of star trek interviewing the authors i mean we've got a great lineup coming this year already with books by david r george iii where we're going to talk about him with ascendance uh we'll have pocket full of lies with kirsten Beyer coming out her newest voyager book soon so it's fantastic i'm so excited about this 50th anniversary of star trek and the books that we're going to be getting so join us there and I have my own personal blog, so if you wanted to see things like uh, my best picks for movies last year or books, uh, reviews on other movies that might not come through the 602 Club, go to 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. Thank you.